Welcome to the Rumble Podcast. Here at Rumble, we are a catalyst and a movement that exists to reach men, connect them to Jesus, and equip them to live as kingdom men. In this episode, we're going to our 2022 Regular Joe Conference. This takes place every year in November, and our theme is based around Acts 4.13. How the people looked at Peter and John, they realized they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were regular Joes, but they took note that they had been with Jesus. We want you to sit back, relax, and let this speak to you. you to really sit back and absorb everything that you're hearing today and uh, I'm just going to hand over to you Rico and then you can tell me when you're finished. Yes. Father God we just thank you for the privilege that is ours to come and listen to and worship together but listen to your word. We, we know that your word is truth. You've said you are the way, the truth and the life and so Father we pray that we would see Jesus today not only that we would see him but that we would want to, others to see him too. So work in our hearts today, Lord. Work in our hearts deeply that we might be changed and we might grow closer to you. If we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Just lovely to be here. You just need to know, guys, that I was screaming when Ireland were beating New Zealand, just so you know. And um, I'd love to give Tyg Furlow English citizenship if we could somehow. Um, Also, just Christian Explored owes a vast debt to the Baird family, if you know Baird's chemists, they single-handedly funded Christianity Explored at the start. So um, I always think of Ulster as amazing at golf and giving. But I'm uh, you know, just very grateful for that. Just as we begin now, uh, brothers, uh, I wonder if you can just think of two... I hope you've all got the bits of paper here. have got the hand out there. But could you, at the top of the bit of paper, just uh, down a couple of names. So as, uh, we've just got to try and keep fresh now. Could you write down the name of a non-Christian and a Christian? And when you're listening today, you're going to listen for them. So we're going to do the 2 Timothy 2 verse 2. You then, my son, be strong in the grace of Christ Jesus. The things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who can teach others. So you're going to listen, not as a reservoir where, I don't know if you can see it from up there or we can put it on, 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 but you know, where it just goes into you. You're thinking, okay, what's this pompous English middle class man got to offer? But actually, you're listening as a river. So it's going to these two guys. So if you can just think of a non-Christian and a Christian... Um, if you're not a Christian here, welcome. Listen for yourself. That'd be great. But, um, but, and it's super to have you. But if you can listen as a river. So we're going to pass it on to those two. Just turn to the person next to you and say, this is the non-Christian I'll listen for. This is the Christian brother who's not here today. Um, but I'll, I'll try and listen for him. Okay, over to you. It just sets us up. So we're going to serve as we listen. Over to you. Just a couple of names. Let's start with that. Who are the two people you've got in your mind? Great. So we've got those guys in mind we're listening for. Just in terms of 
why I'm doing it this way around. Let me just do a bit of an outline of what's happened over the last 70 years in the south of England, where I've been ministering for the last 30 years. I think it's a bit like this. This was 1954, and Billy Graham came. Here's man as he preaches at Haringey. Here's our sin. Here is God. He preaches the cross. People are asked to repent and believe that very night. 40,000 people came to faith during the Haringey mission. Had an amazing impact on the country. That's 1954 when there was a huge Christian heritage. Um, 1994, I started All Souls Langham Place, my uh, church in London. It doesn't look as though I'm 56 because I've got good hair and I've sacrificed my body for my face. But I am, <laughs> but, but here I am. 1994, here's man. And there are four blocks that the culture keeps putting in the way of someone being where they were, coming to God, seeing their sin uh, there. What are the blocks in the way? Christians are weird. So if you look at the media, they're always telling that same story. We heard about what story you're in. Christians are weird. And of course, sometimes you meet a Christian, you think, oh, my dear brother, you are weird. But they were weird before they were Christian. Don't blame them being Christian. It's irrelevant. I had a friend of mine who was being shown, an American friend, he was being shown around Winchester Cathedral, and he asked, as a sort of you know, half volley to the, to the guide, he says, what relevance has the Christian faith got today in this country? And the guide said, oh no, this is great history, it's no relevance today. I mean, shoot the guide, honestly. Thirdly, it's untrue. So it's a narrative that has been constructed to suppress people. Things like the Da Vinci Code, it's all about the suppression of women, this Christian thing. And then it's homophobic. You know, uh, what Christians believe is, that is actually a, a profoundly bigot. There's bigotry and homophobia. And it takes, it takes years to block this down, to get people to come on a course they were so far back, to see their sin and come to God. So that's been the courses for the last uh, 30 years. Um, Alpha Christianity Explored. Where are we now? Well, now... Our friends are here, certainly in, 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 in the UK, I can't, in, in, in London, I can't speak of what's happening in Ulster, I don't know. But in London, they're on the road, but they're not even heading towards faith. They're looking in that direction. And therefore, as we come to a seminar now on reaching out, what's the key? The absolute silver bullet on all outreach over the next 25 years in the south of England, without question, is an individual an individual who will journey with these people and, and as they head along the road. So we are seeing people come to faith, but there's someone who's in behind them, just helping them and with them, because it's quite a countercultural journey that they're on. And that's why as we uh, come now to the session we're going to do now, I'm totally convinced that this individual who's the, the key point person, and by the way, if you leave it to the pastors, they'll just have a breakdown. You know, if you're saying, well, look, I'll, you know, I'll provide the structure, I'll, I'll do the, vine, the, the trellis work, but the vine work is the pastor's job, he will have a breakdown because there's so much work to be done. And anyway, sheep give birth to sheep, shepherds don't give birth to sheep. It's the sheep's job. The job of the pastor is to train them. But as we come to this training now, what I want to do is focus on the heart of this individual. But why is it so important? Let me give you an example from carol services this Christmas at my church. It used to be people would come along to a carol service and they'd, they'd turn up, 
You'd mentioned Christianity Explored or Hope Explored, the courses after Christmas, and their granny had been a committed Christian. They might have done Boys Brigade or whatever it was, and, and they'll think, you know, I need to be doing it, and they'd bring themselves along. So they'd come along, and they'd drop themselves into a Christianity Explored course after the Christmas carol services. Now, they'll come along, but unless the individuals that, that's brought them, after the pastor's sermon, takes them back, opens the Bible that we find they're not going to make it to the January course. There's just more work needed in terms of going alongside them. And that's new, particularly if you were brought up in quite a Christian culture, where actually there wasn't anyone particularly following you up, it just was the group you were in. But now there's got to be much more intentional planning with people as we wander along and just, you know, I mean, I've got a guy at the moment, I, I know what he's doing each day, I'm trying to get the pipe open, I'm with him as he's coming to faith, and it's exhausting. But I think there's that, that, there's that, that, that journeying with people that is, that is so key. So what are we then talking about now? Well, we're talking about the heart, and particularly, can you see the bit of paper here? The heart in terms of what the culture's doing to us. You heard me talking about it earlier today. I think these are the four things going on in the London area. Again, I can't speak about Ulster. But first of all, I find in my beloved church family at All Souls, there are those who just look back... They might look back to Haringey, but they look back to the glory days and they long to recover, the Christian faith to recover where it stood in society. So, so you know, um, um, there was a time when All Souls, my church, was on the front of the Radio Times, Christmas at All Souls. So in those days, we were evangelical and respectable. We were orthodox and applauded. Not now. Do you know, thought for the day went out from a radio studio in All Souls, which became our tape library. So different people would be doing that. Orthodoxy, and it was applauded. And the queen and her faith represented that. So that recovery, oh, if only we could be back to where we were. What happened? Sunday school groups that were just enormous, all those things. Secondly, if you look down, other Christians are saying, retreat, it's back to the monastery. You know, the only option is to homeschool or the kids will be thrown to the wolves. I'm not against homeschool. I'm just saying that's a mentality uh, among some people. Um, You know, so there's not the confidence to engage. Do jot this verse down. There's a total loss of 1 John uh, uh, 4 verse 4. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome because the one who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world. Well, no, they don't believe that. So, so, so it's, it's, it's retreat, it's back to the monastery. We'll do a bit of social action, but no more than that. Lastly, what do we have to do, brothers, as we look down? Can we see as we look down? Lastly, it's, of course, resilience. Resilience is what we need to keep reaching out. And resilience, can you see there, is cultivating a soft heart and a thick skin. Resilience is the ability to bounce back the ability to regain your form, to regain your shape. And it's Jesus, of course, in Easter week. So there he is on the cross, and he says, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they do, of the people killing him. A soft heart, but a thick skin. And that's what we need to pray for here. So how do I cultivate that, that soft heart and and, and thick skin? Well, I wonder if you can see the outline here. Do you see, uh, I want to just pass on to you, 
this is, this is how I do it. Do you see these four um, points? Thinking, feeling on your handout here. Thinking, feeling, behaving, and physical health. So the four points are in terms of self-leadership that will give me a soft heart that keeps reaching out for people, but a tough skin that will not allow myself to capitulate before the culture. And particularly, we're talking about thinking and then feeling. So I don't want to ignore my feelings. Uh, uh, um, uh, so here we are. Thinking. Feelings. Feelings. There we are. So sorry to mention them. Choices or physical health. Uh, uh, and then the fourth one is physical health. You've got it there in front of you. I had a broken engagement in 2002, which was 95% my fault. And I remember on the day I got engaged, I felt quite sad. And, and what I realized was there was a, a, just a disengagement between my head and my heart. And I realized I had to work hard. How do I make sure my heart is involved in, in what I believe and in where I'm at? and the rest of it. So what do we do? Now, do you think of Eve in the Garden of Eden? Satan puts into her head, you can't trust God, you won't surely die, there'll be no judgment, he's a liar, you can sin with impunity. When, when Satan says to her, uh, uh, God doesn't want you to be like him, what does she feel? Now, jot this word down, guys, this is crucial in terms of self-leadership. This is what she feels, resentment. Resentment. I can't trust God. And then, when you feel resentment, of course, you choose to rebel. So, as a pastor, my antennae are always out for resentment. I'm looking, I'm looking, you know, how are people, where are they at? And the opposite of resentment, and this is what's absolutely key as we get the gospel out and as we live for Christ and as we're thrilled with the gospel, of course, what we've got to do is, it's thanksgiving. So, you're either in resentment or you're in thanksgiving. Which one are you in? I remember um, about 15 years ago, um, when I was still uh, a single guy, 16 years ago, a guy called John Chapman, who was an Australian evangelist, I, think, I know he's done some stuff over here, um, he uh, came to London and I had breakfast with him, and I was having a tough time, and I went through five or six things that were wrong, and gradually his Australian lip curled with disdain at this whinging pom, and after I'd finished my list of what was wrong, he said to me, Rico, mate, I had a friend like you, single clergyman like you and I, he committed suicide. And if I may say, you're not unlike him. I was like, what? And then he said something to me that did change my life. So this might change some of your lives. He said to me, Rico, mate, every day, morning and night, first thing, I want you to kneel by your bed and give thanks to God. And why don't you start with the cross? and label his goodness. And do you know what? That one exercise, of course, I look pretty miserable in my Marks and Spencer's boxer shorts by my bed, and I've now got a furniture problem. My chest is in my drawers. But can I tell you, as I've knelt by my bed, brothers, it's been amazing how that unlocked my hard heart. So how do we do this? How do we, how do we, and then of course what happens is, once you're thankful, you do, jot this down, your Romans 12 verses 1 and 2. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. But the thanksgiving, as we feel our feelings change, we then give ourselves to God's work. But the key is the heart. How's the heart going? That's what I need. And again, we'll, we'll, be, we'll be people, we'll be men of joy amidst it all. 
So what do I do? Well, well, each morning, here's my Bible in a year. By the way, I never get through in a year, um, but, but you know, I, I, I have it. And here, um, on the second page, I have a list of questions. And jot this down. Every day, I remind myself of the story I'm in. That's what I do as I come out of, um, as I'm seeking to, first of all, look in the mirror before I look out the window. So what's the story I'm in? Do you have a look down there? When was I converted? So when was I converted? Let me read to you. This is when I was converted. For he chose us in him, Ephesians 1, 3, and 4. Are you ready? Listen, guys. Before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight, in love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his will and pleasure. So when was I converted? I wasn't converted in 1982. I was converted before the beginning of time. So before the beginning of time, God wrote your name on his hand, Isaiah. That's when you were converted. Now this is why, by the way, you know, when you, when you meet someone and you say, you know, how did you become a Christian? They say, well, I just brought up in a, a Christian home. You take them outside, don't do it inside, take them out to the car park and headbutt them. The reason you're here is before the beginning of time, according to Ephesians 1, 3, and 4, God, God placed his hand on you. This is Reformed theology. That's why you're here. You're sitting here. He, he did that miracle. So before the beginning of time, he said, I'm going to call this man John. Then, 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 then he sent his son to die, which is no small thing. Then he raised him from the dead. Then you get born... And he opens your blind eyes and sends his Holy Spirit to open your eyes, which is why you're here today, because you actually, you've, actually, you've, you've been transformed. And one day you'll stand before him and he'll say, he'll say to me, he'll say, Rico Tice, it's good to see you. You've been on my mind a very long time. So that's when I was converted before the beginning of time. Hold on to your seats. How was I converted? 2 Corinthians 4 verse, uh, verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine into our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Christ. In other words, God took the power that made the world. Do you know it's a staggering view over the hills from upstairs? God took the power that made that, and, he, and Port Rush, the power that made that, and he opened my blind eyes so that I could see who Jesus was. He did a miracle. That's why I'm converted. So he predestined me, and then he called me by opening my eyes when I was full against him. It's a miracle. Do you give thanks each day for that? Because you were, Ephesians 2 verse 1, dead in your transgressions and sins. And then as we go on, can we see as we look down the next question, and how does God feel about me now, today? Well, amazingly, how does God feel about me? He's delighted with me. Why is he delighted with me? Have a look down, Romans 1 verse 17. Now a righteousness from God. He's delighted with you because he's delighted with Jesus and you now relate to God through Christ's performance, not your own. So every day God looks at me and he's delighted with me and I can tell you, if you could see the filth in my heart, you wouldn't bother listening and if I could see the filth in yours, I wouldn't bother speaking. It's true, isn't it? If we're honest... And yet we're simulius to set peccator, as Luther said. We're at the same time sinners and justified. So I went to the same type of school as many of you had went to in those, in those days in the 70s. And I was taught three things as I got to the school. This was the subconscious thing I was taught. Tice, you're not good enough. 
prove yourself and it's a dangerous world. That's what I was taught. You're not good enough, prove yourself is a dangerous world. And you better get into that medallion team and you better be playing at Ravenhill because we know you're not good enough. Let's see if you can do it. And then, and then you see, then you see you come to the gospel. You come to the gospel, I'm not good enough. No, I'm not. And he knows all about me and yet he loves me. Prove yourself, no, no, no. I live by Christ's performance, his righteousness, not mine. It's a dangerous world, yes, but he'll take me home. Have a look at the next one. As we, so, so, so you see, there is a declaration. Jot this down, will you? This, every day I do this. I don't live for your approval, but, but I live from approval. I don't live for it, but from it. So, brothers, you know, at one point, I don't care what you make of the talk. I care what the Lord thinks. I mean, I pray I will think that because I'm such a man-fearer. But, you know, it's, what does he think? It's his approval. And then as we go on, you know, this is wonderful. We, Romans uh, 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 8, verse 28. So that amazing Romans passage. Um, so John Stott said, if the Bible was a, a mountain range... Romans would be the Himalayas. And if Romans was the Himalayas, Romans 8 is Everest. And the peak of Everest is Romans 8.28. This is the peak of all scripture. For we know that in all things, God works together for the good. What does he work for? That we would be conformed to the likeness of Christ. So God, in his sovereignty, is using everything to make me more like Christ. That's the story I'm in. Please don't ask me how that works. I don't know. Some of you will come up afterwards and say, well, Rika, how does this work? Brother, I don't know. But I'll tell you this. Do jot this down. If God was in control on Good Friday, he's in control today. And as I go to a funeral yesterday of Timothy, who's 11 months, and I've watched his parents. He's been born disabled, this little boy. And and I've just watched his parents and the suffering of the last 11 months. But, I mean, there was a doctor at the service. I said, why have you come? She said, I'm coming back to church because I've watched that couple live. I've watched them live. And that's why I'm going to start coming to your church. It's a doctor who was on the intensive care work ward. God works all things together for our good. Now, what does this mean? Now, I love this phrase. If you can jot it down, here's what you jot. Just to take away and pass on to others. Today's a great day because today's the day that God has made. And if it's good for God, it's good for me. So every day's a great day. Why? Because he's going to make me more like Jesus. Every day, because his plan is to sanctify me. And, and, and so the most brutal things will be coming in, and don't ask me to explain them, but all I've got to do is say, what does it mean to be godly now? And I'm on the way to heaven. So if, as Alan drives me to the airport this afternoon, we hit a car and I lose both my legs, can you come and see me in Belfast Infirmary and say to me, Rico, you've got to be godly now with no legs, but one day you'll get new legs in the new creation but I've got to get that roof on now before the storm hits. No good being told that after it's happened. But he is sovereign. And then the next one, as we look down, do you see the story I'm in? Each day I'm reminding myself of this story. As we look down again for our hearts, do you say, why is today a better day than yesterday? And actually, um, look up Romans 8, uh, verse 18, but not now. Let's do another verse, which is the... um, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. No eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has prepared for those who love him. In other words, would you please think of the best moment in your life now? What's been the best moment in your life? Take take the best moment. Okay? 
and multiply that, that moment by infinity and its duration by eternity, and that's what it's going to be feel, feel like when we, no eye has hit, seen, no mind has conceived, no ear has heard what God will do. That's what it's going to feel like. Now, what does that mean for today, therefore? What does that mean today? It means, with this, with this future I've got, guaranteed by the resurrection, it means every day is a better day than yesterday. Because every day I'm a day's march closer to home. And for the non-Christian, every day is a worse day because they're a day closer to hell. Now, that's the story I'm in. And as I remind myself of that story, thinking, I feel my feelings change and then I want to give myself choices to God's service. Do you, do, you get, do you see the cycle we're trying to get in there? And so I, if I'm in resentment, I'm, I'm, as I remind myself of this, I'm transferring to the gospel. And therefore, look, please pray I'll have my quiet time. Would you please pray I'll read the Bible? I have to give my son a lift to school at 7.15 in the morning. And it's tough to read it before that. And then the day starts. And I often fail. But will you please pray I'll get this into myself as the day starts so I spend the day in thanksgiving and in service. That's the battle uh, as we do it. But then, having got that in place, can we turn over the page, please? Because I'm then battling my, my depravity. I wrote this book, Faithful Leaders. It is basically an exegesis of 35 years of battling my own depravity. But, and what I find is absolutely key to it is praying in verses. So I've got a temper problem. I lose my temper. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's, uh, and, and, you know, if you're a pastor and you're meant to be teaching the Bible, James 3 says, they can't trust you if there's, if there's anger coming out of your mouth as well. So every day I'm praying in these verses. So here on page one here, I've got these verses written out. And I'm like a city without walls is a man who lacks self-control. And then I'll do mortification. So mortification is I, by the Spirit, I take the word of God and apply it. Lord, please, may I not be undefended today with my anger. Help me to watch it. And of course, on the physical health... If I've only had three hours sleep because my six-year-old has been crying or whatever, three hours sleep means I've got to remember that. I'm not going to be in great shape with my temper. So you watch your physical health. Because, you know, if I've not done anything that's adventurous or, 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 or joyous, which is why next time I come, I'd like to play Port Rush. What I'm saying, you know, that's an adventure, isn't it? Calamity, that is an adventure. But what I'm saying is that, 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 that here, I've got to be, you know, if that's been a struggle, what I've got to do is remember it. And then I'm taking the verses on anger and I'm praying them in. So do you see as we look down there? Matthew 5, verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they'll be shown mercy. Lord, please, I'm not naturally a merciful man. Please help me to be merciful today. I'm looking at my diary who I'm seeing Lord, please, give me grace. Give me patience. And so we go on. Ephesians 4, 26, 27. In your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. Please, Lord, may I not give the devil a foothold today. And, and I have those three words. Do you see at the top there, the AAR call? So with my anger, I acknowledge it. I then, I then I go, gosh, I'm feeling angry here. Gosh, this person's made me cross. I absorb it. Right, Rico, step back. You can't lose your temper. You've got to be self-controlled. I respond. Now, the response might, the response might be, I'm just going to say, I'm waiting 24 hours, then I'll go and say, I struggled a bit. It might be, I'm just going to leave it, but I do something with it. Um, what helped me with my anger was this book, Mind Over Mood. 
um, which just gives you steps. I found this incredibly helpful. The situation you're in, the mood you're in, your automatic hot thought, evidence that supports it, evidence that doesn't support it, balanced thinking. Some of you take a photo of that. It's a great workbook to work through in terms of just trying to, Lord, please help me. To, I, I can't be losing my temper. Uh, look down. Of course, lust is there as well. So these are verses I'll go, do, I'll go through about lust each day. You know, one, Joseph to Potiphar's wife, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to him each day, day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. Father God, help me to be like Joseph, to flee this temptation. And then as we look down, you may be sure your sin will find you out. Lord, please, may I battle. Matthew 5, 28, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already permitted adultery with her in his heart. So I'm, I'm, I'm praying these verses in each day just, to, you know, just for the self-control. I remember once I was waiting to meet someone to read the Bible with them at 7 a.m. on the steps of my church. It was May, and 7 a.m., I'd just been through my verses, and a girl walked up, and she was wearing the slimmest, uh, the flimsiest summer dress, 7 a.m., and I looked at her, I was sitting there, and I said, you've got to give us a chance. I said, you can't wear that at 7 a.m. I said, it's 7 a.m. in the morning. She looked at me as I was totally mad and ran off. But anyway, I'd just done my verses. That was the reason. <laughs> but we've got a battle. Now, the other thing I just want to say on this, guys, is that I have not looked at pornography this year. I haven't looked at it once. Do you know the only reason that's the case? Because I'm often tempted. I have put safeguarding in place that, that makes it impossible for me to look at it in terms of the tech blocks I've put around me. It's so embarrassing. I, you know, I get a new phone, I go to the shop um, on Oxford Street 3, and I say, you've got to put in all the stuff here that just, just means I can't look at it. I'm a pastor. I'll give you 20 quid. Can you just please do it? So the same at church. It's embarrassing. But I just know that for the 3% of the time when I can look at it, I've got to have the stuff in place that doesn't permit me to look at it. So if I try and type in Pornhub, it can't come through. And all I'm saying is that's my experience of my own depravity. For 3% of the time, I have to have safeguards in place that don't allow me to look at it. So that's just me. Um, I wish I was better than that, but that's the only way I can cope. And then verses about the tongue here, about, again, about, about self-control in terms of the lips. The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. Lord, please, again, you say, Lord, please, help me to, to talk, help me to... Help me to, to, to not lie. Now, when it comes to lying and, and this whole area, and indeed this whole area of feeling, and I'm going to close with this, some of you are going, but Rico, I see what you're saying about the great story, but when I come to my feelings of thanksgiving, I'm not feeling anything in my heart. I just feel empty and exhausted. Now, that may be a physical health issue. We need a doctrine of creation. You may need to go to King's, Bars more often, you know, King's Park more often on a... What is it? King, it's, it was Ravenhill. What's it called now? King's Park. Yeah, you may need to go there Friday night more often. I mean, do stuff, you know, make sure you're, you're enjoying life. What, what are you doing to enjoy life? But, so, so that doctrine of creation is important. But here is the thing that, that was new for me in terms of the battle with godliness. And it came out of this book, Counterfeit Gods by, by Tim Keller. What I found was, was that my heart, the reason I wasn't being moved by the gospel, is my heart had been kidnapped by idols. 
Let me give you a couple of examples. When I was at Oxford University becoming a vicar, I wanted to get a blue, and I remember sitting in chapel of the Theological College three weeks before the varsity match, and I remember thinking, I don't care about God, I don't care about the gospel, I don't care about my non-Christian friends going to hell. All I care about is getting a blue, but once I've got that blue, then I'll care about those things again. And, and that's idolatry. And I remember thinking, that's not very good, but I didn't have a category for the first two commandments. But, you know, in my identity, that's what I wanted. So now, uh, again, when I started at All Souls, for the first 10 years at my church at All Souls, and again, it was amazing to be on staff with John Stott, and I wanted to be seen as a fine Christian leader, which is a good thing to want. But, I, but, I, but, but the thing is, it went from being a good thing to a God thing. So, because I wasn't an efficient, when I was inefficient, and I hadn't done something, and Christian leaders are meant to be efficient, and they'd say, have you done that, Rico? Do you know what I would do? I'd lie to their face. I'd say, yes, I've done it. And then I'd run off and do it before they found out. Why was I lying? Because my identity and righteousness was being seen as a fine Christian leader. It had become an idol. And I had to go back and go, no, it's the gospel that gives me my identity. Once I'd got that, I could say, look, mate, I'm sorry. You asked me to do it, and, and, and I know it's important. I haven't yet done it. And I'll, just, I'll try and get it done today. I really apologize. It took me 10 years to get there. But, but we've got to see, so here are the two questions. Jot them down in terms of idols. Three questions. When do you lose your temper? That can often be idolatry, it, comfort or something's being blocked. What do you daydream about? What are your nightmares? All those things will unlock what the idols are, and that is absolutely key to keeping your heart going for the gospel. So many of our, our brothers get diverted by good things that become God things. Alan, got any thoughts on that one on the on the idol? What would your Yeah, I as a lawyer, there were I had didn't want to appear disorganized to anyone, but I had rushed into the court court number one about five minutes late. The judge looked at me and said, Mr. Taylor, this court started to sit five minutes ago and you weren't here. And I said, yes, I had something very pressing and urgent to deal with, which was really a cover-up for being disorganized. But actually what had happened was I had two cases running at the same time, which I hadn't really organized very well. And he had seen the list and knew I was in the other court. So he actually said to everybody, well, you know, court number two, um, I, I knew we were there. So he exposed my lie in front of everybody. And most people say, well, lawyers lie all the time. Well, of course, that's not true. Um, <laughs> So, but that, that for me was an early lesson in telling yeah. the truth and that protection, which was an idol to appear organized and to appear on top of things, really revealed to me a heart issue that I've been working on ever since. Great. Let me, let me finish there, um, guys. I just want to give you this map. So thinking, feeling, choices, physical health. Around feelings, are you in resentment or thanksgiving? Just one other thing to throw out. And John Eldridge is very good on this. If you've got a real wound, that can mean that unless you get it sorted out, unless you've got some knowledge of it, certainly as a pastor, you start feeding on the sheep. So for me, when I was um, at school, um, I became a Christian at 16. And then when I was 17 and a half, Billy Graham came to, to, uh, to England. And, and we, we got about 200 boys from the school to go and hear him 
but it resulted in real persecution. And Lordy Lordy, this is a magazine that came out every month in the school that really was an attack on me. Uh, let me read you a bit of it. Christianity, you'll find, Rico, is just a phase you're going through. Don't let other people get caught up in your whirlpool of religious fantasy. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. No, just F off. Well, here's the end of it. Um, we at Lordy Lordy plead for forgiveness in order that our sins may be remitted. We decree that the God Squad should be allowed to continue to amuse us with their unseemly actions, to shock us with their impractical out of date antics. Let us also repent of exposing the God Squad's religious antics, and God help us to see that in mocking the Christians, we are mocking you, O Holy One. We're still adamant in agreeing that Rico is a senseless jerk. So every month that would come out, I'd walk into the dining room and knew they did it. Now that laid down in my head an unexploded bomb that meant in conflict I behaved badly. And without wanting to play the victim card, I had to see a psychiatrist about that. My wife has really helped me with it, so I'm much more self-aware just of what the Genesis 3 scars have done. So you may look back and go, well, that was, that was a tough thing, and I wonder how the shadow of that is affecting me now. And John Eldridge's stuff is superb on that. Let's finish there, guys. Have a minute. We'll have some questions, but you've just got a minute to turn to the person next to you and go, this is what struck me most. If you don't want to do that, you can say, I don't like people, I'm not talking to you. That's fine. <laughs> but, but just what's the thing to take away, particularly for those two people in mind, then we'll have a couple of questions. Thanks for tuning in to this episode. We really hope and pray that God's word has spoken to your heart and that his Holy Spirit has empowered you to go out and be an effective man. That people would look at you and really take note that you've been with Jesus. If we can help you or your church in any way in engaging and in reaching men, both inside and outside the church, this is a huge need in our time and in our world at this moment. Please go onto our website, rumble.vision, and send us an email, reach out to us. We would love to get a coffee and to talk to you about some of the things that we have that can help you at a local level. But we do hope that you can join us again soon for our next episode. Be blessed and we'll see you again soon.